Welcome to the Just Start Tech podcast brought to you by Central Valley Christian School. This is your source for growing in your pedagogy by hearing stories from others on this journey just like you. Because learning never stops, it just starts. So here we go. and welcome back to the Just Start Tech Podcast. This is episode 11. As always, I am your host, Nathan DeGroat, a technology coach at Central Valley Christian School in Visalia, California. And I am so happy to be bringing you some ideas and inspiration for how you can grow in your teaching pedagogy. Here's a little bit about today's episode. We won't have an interview in the episode due to the holidays. Hope that you had a great Thanksgiving and I wanna appreciate that time off that we get as well. It's always great to hear from teachers, but definitely take some time to set up and just Thanksgiving was busy. There wasn't enough time. And that also means we're going to skip an episode in January due to Christmas. Again, it's such a wonderful time to have off from school and to be able to spend time with family and friends, but it's also the end of a semester as well and just so much busyness. So today's episode will focus on John Hattie's research and how we as educators can maximize our impact on learning. If you were at our last late start morning, you heard our high school principal talk about learning targets and mention this huge study done on what factors impact student achievement. So let's take a deeper dive into some of those. First, let's set a foundation for this research. It's based on more than 800 meta-analyses of 50,000 research articles, about 150,000 effect sizes, and about 240 million students. It is the largest study done on effects of student learning and has been widely accepted in the education community. Different factors such as feedback, discussion, their peers, classroom management, anxiety, homework, and hundreds more can influence students' performance and growth, either positively or negatively. When Hattie looked at all these different factors, he set the bar of the effect size at 0.4, meaning that influences that increase a student's achievement greatly have an effect size of 0.4 or greater. The reason for 0.4 instead of 0 is that there are so many things that can help students grow in their achievement. It's simple enough to say that a teacher having knowledge of the subject matter would be influential influential in student achievement, but according to the study, that's only a 0.09 effect size. Would subject matter expertise help a student grow? Yes. But could another teacher without that subject matter knowledge help students grow even more? Yes, depending on which strategies are being used. That's why it's important to set the bar at a higher level for significant change. So let's look at some different influences and unpack their effect sizes and meaning. I'm going to link to some resources in the show notes for each one to give you some additional information. 
First, let's look at some common practices that we probably already do. Starting here might be a good idea so that you can consider what practices you already do that are beneficial and maybe do them more. Or you can consider practices that might not be as beneficial and how you might replace them with something more effective. First, let's look at classroom discussion. Classroom discussion occurs when a teacher stops lecturing and allows students to discuss an important topic or debate. Students are in the driver's seat, voicing opinions and thoughts. One of the reasons why this strategy is effective is because students are learning from their peers and are communicating thoughts and ideas in language that is more familiar with them. Plus, they are learning from a, a variety of people all around the same developmental level. Finally, this also gives you an opportunity as a teacher to see what students know. The effect size of classroom discussion, 0.82, making it a significant influence on achievement. A classroom discussion still needs to be conducted effectively, so check out the resource on how to create effective classroom discussions. Next up is feedback. You probably provide feedback in your classroom in a variety of ways, but the feedback itself needs to be timely, relevant, and actionable. Are students able to use this feedback and make adjustments right away? Or did it come two weeks after they turned in the assignment? And even then, they don't have an opportunity to actually correct those mistakes. Feedback has an effect size of 0.7, making it another instrument another instrumental method of teaching to increase student achievement. Check out the resource for feedback questioning stems that you can use to direct how you formatively assess students. Next up is homework. Take a moment and try to guess the effect size. You have a number in mind? Well, technically, we should separate primary grades and secondary grades. The number for primary grades is, drum roll please, 0.15, meaning a small impact in achievement, while the secondary grades is 0.64, meaning a larger impact on achievement. Now, you might be thinking, great, as a high school teacher, I'll just keep assigning homework to students and make them achieve even more. But that's not the point. The homework still needs to be meaningful and accessible to students. And as a primary teacher, you might be thinking, what? My students benefit so much from this practice outside of class? We aren't saying that homework is bad. It still does make an impact on achievement, but we should consider how much homework these younger students get and is the homework meaningful and purposeful. Sometimes doing homework for 10 minutes a day is going to have the same effect as doing it for an hour. So think about how much time you want students to be spending on homework outside of class. All right, let's look at one more that many of us probably already do. And that's note taking. This has an effect size of 0.5. That means it has a medium impact on student achievement, which is great. But what does note taking look like? Does it mean just typing down everything you put on your slide? Does it mean fill in the blanks on a piece of paper? 
It's important that students develop good note-taking skills, even at a young age. And note-taking doesn't have to just be words. It could also be visual. It doesn't need to be in just one form either. It can take on a variety of different forms. Check out the linked post from Vicki Davis on note-taking skills for 21st century students. She talks about building note-taking skills first in an analog method with paper and writing utensils before moving on and integrating technology. So there we have some things that we already do, but we should also be considering how effective they are in our classes, as well as how much time is devoted to them. Are we devoting a majority of our time to low impacting effects? If so, let's consider other opportunities we might provide our students with to help them achieve. Now, let's look at some high impact things that we may or may not be doing. One of the highest is self-reported grades or student expectations. This is what Krista mentioned at our late start morning with learning targets. Helping students know the expectations and teaching them or giving them opportunities to reflect on their progress can help student ownership and accountability of their academic ability. This factor has an effect size of 1.44, one of the greatest effect sizes in this research. Another great one that you can establish with a positive class culture is called self-verbalization. Self-verbalization just means taking negative statements and turning them into positives. We often think of our mistakes as negative and students develop this sense as well because they don't see teachers making mistakes all that time. But mistakes are learning opportunities, and it's important that we as teachers can demonstrate how we learn from mistakes to our students. So actually consider planning out mistakes in your classroom, in your lesson, and when you do make a mistake, verbalize the thought process that you're going through to your students to help them understand. Help them learn how they can grow from making mistakes. Oh, the effect size for this is 0.64. One last one that I want to hit on is called reciprocal teaching. When considering reciprocal teaching, we are providing students with the opportunity to teach others about what they just learned. When students are listening to a lecture or maybe watching a video, only two lobes of their brains are being stimulated. But we can further stimulate the brain by allowing them to talk or create something, which in turn causes them to think about what's most important. What information did I just gather that I should be sharing with others? And then what information can I kind of discard or it's not as important? Students need time to verbalize thoughts in order to clear up space in their active memory so that All these things that they're taking in can be passed down along the way to their long-term memory. This can't be done by just filling the brain and giving them information, but it needs to be done by using other parts of the brain as well. The effect size for reciprocal teaching is 0.74, making it another great teaching and learning strategy to implement in your classroom. Now, obviously, we can't implement every strategy all of the time. There just isn't enough time in a class period. However, by varying our teaching strategies, as well as what, as what students do with their learning, you can increase student achievement far greater than traditional lecture and memorization. So let's take a look at how we can make this happen in our classroom. 
jump starters today, I want to share some strategies or tools for a couple of these effects. Let's start with classroom discussion. In what ways do you provide opportunities already for classroom discussion? Sure, we can ask a question and have students raise their hands and answer, but how many of our students are actively engaged in this process? One strategy for discussion can be a gallery walk, which you could either have this done in a couple of different ways. One method is to provide students with spaces around the room to write. So maybe you have some whiteboards or some poster charts hanging around the room, each space posing a different question that you want students to think about. Students will travel to these different stations in groups and they must discuss with their partners or small groups and then write down an answer on this poster board or this whiteboard. As students rotate, they then read the previous group's remarks, discuss it, and then add on. But you don't want to stop with that. How will you capture this more in depth? You could certainly continue with a whole class discussion and get a few thoughts from those who are willing to verbalize them but consider using some sort of exit ticket as well. This could be facilitated through a variety of tools, such as Nearpod, Socrative, or Forms. A simple notice and wonder can provoke quite a bit of thought from students. Now you've collected something from each student and each of them had to verbalize their thoughts, whether that was in speech or in writing. Next, let's take a look at note-taking. Note-taking doesn't have to be our traditional outline form. It can be done in a variety of ways. Traditionally, the outline form is a great way to help students structure a paragraph, but we aren't always asking them to do this. Sometimes creating a visual of the topic or lesson can be a much better way of helping students remember and see how these different pieces connect to each other. Sketch noting can be done in analog fashion, which is probably a better way to start when you're teaching some strategies, or it can be done in a digital fashion using tools like Google Canvas or Drawings, Google Jamboard, or Sketchbook. The point here is to create a visual representation of the topic, making further connections in the brain. Students aren't just typing everything they hear, but they are taking time to process it and then do something with it. I think one of the best practices of note-taking is to actually go out and do something with those notes. Perhaps the next day, students are writing a quick summary from their notes as an entrance ticket. What do I remember from yesterday? Maybe you facilitate this with Socrative or a form to kind of get get them to give this information. Now those notes from the day before have to make their way back to the forefront of the brain to be processed again. But if we just leave a big gap, if they're taking notes and they're not really going back to those notes until weeks later before they have a test, it's too big of a gap in between and those notes aren't going to be as effective. Finally, consider this for bringing together your feedback and student self-directed learning. Rather than using a traditional rubric of three or four points that really has muddled criteria between a one, two, three, four, making it not student-friendly at all, try using what's called a single-point rubric. In a single point rubric, you list your different skills or targets that you want students to achieve, and you clearly lay out the expectations of what you are looking for. 
If a student doesn't meet those expectations, then there's a little column or a little box for you to give them some actionable feedback on what they can do to improve. If a student goes beyond those expectations, then identify those things that they are doing exceptionally well. Then have students actually respond to that feedback. What can they do with it? Have them maybe identify those areas as well in their writing or their project that don't meet expectations. Have them revise them to actually earn the grade. So rather than giving them a B or something like that for not meeting your expectations, say, hey, you have to meet my expectations. This is what you need to improve. So they actually have to do it if they want to get a grade. Now they are starting to see, okay, here's the target. Here's where I am. This is what I can do to achieve. I want to end with this quote from the great legendary basketball coach, John Wooden. Don't mistake activity with achievement. I think we can sometimes look at our classrooms and see that our students are doing things. They are demonstrating learning in ways we want them to. But sometimes we could simply be asking them to do low-level things, depth of knowledge zero or maybe one. Just because they are doing something doesn't mean they are achieving. I hope you remember this quote when you reflect on your own practices. I know I can even see this in my teaching practice. Sometimes my students are doing a project or activity and I'm thinking, great, they're, they're building the skills that I want them to do. But... Are they really achieving or are they just doing what I've asked and then forgetting about it? So let me know what you think about that quote. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you would be so kind as to subscribe and leave a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Share the podcast with others who would find it useful. And if you have something you want to share or want to be featured on the show, reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at JustStartTech or reach me by email at ndgrowth at cbc.org. Remember, learning never stops. It just starts.